Hello. Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your source for geeky analysis and recaps of Cobra Kai, the Karate Kid, and all things relating to the Miyagi-verse. All things related to the Miyagi-verse. Uh, yes, it's a new year, it's a new uh, season of Cobra Kai is fast approaching, and we are here to finish recapping season one so that we can get to season two, really. Yeah, we, we are fresh off our recap, our long recap of The Karate Kid Part 2, which was deeply involving and very enjoyable. Yes, exactly. It took a little more work than I originally intended, but I think the results speak for themselves. I'm very happy with how that came out. When I was five years old, I never would have guessed that that movie would yield so much analysis. So much analysis and so much recap. Um. (laughs) Very recap, much analysis. Yes, Uh, but we'll definitely give ourselves a little more lead time when it comes time to do Karate Kid Part 3 and the next Karate Kid. Um, although I imagine you probably won't want to research those too terribly much. Well, I hope I don't have to. I hope there's nothing out there to find. <laughs> no, Karate Kid Part 3, there's plenty out there to find. Like mm-hmm. our fellow fans of the Miyagi-verse have done so much footwork and in uncovering interviews with every Cobra Kai, like the guys over at a Cobra Kai Companion. Yeah. Uh, Cobra guys, they're all they're all on this, so we can factor their analysis in as well. That's true, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't have to do that so, footwork. That's already been done by other people. Thank goodness they've laid the foundation for which we can just base our, our, our shocked and amused reactions. Well, that leaves us free to make silly Star Wars references and try to figure out how Karate Kid fits into the Back to the Future universe. Exactly. So right now we're going to watch episode six of Cobra Kai called Quiver. Mm -hmm. Um, This this episode I have seen so many freaking times, which I would never have guessed because it seems like a kind of a transitional one between the major moment of Daniel coming back to karate Mm -hmm. and the events leading to the, the conclusion of the show. It's more setup. But because I'd seen so many of the, the the finale episodes over and over again, I wound up having to watch this one a lot because I didn't want to burn out. Right. Um, and fell in love with it over time. So I'm really excited to get to talk about it now. Oh, me too. Like, this is a big arc-building episode. We're coming off that. This is kind of the second part of the halfway point of the season. Like, everything turned around in counterbalance, and now Quiver is going to show us how that all pays off. So I'm very excited to see how things unfold. And we get some important character development moments too, which we'll get into in a minute. So without further ado, let's proceed to Cobra Kai episode six, Quiver. Quiver, it says, says the title card. Quiver, a verb, tremble or shake, a noun, a slight trembling movement or sound, or noun obsolete. A group of cobras. A group of cobras. So yeah, we get a text opening, which is kind of unusual. Uh, We also get a flashback, which is kind of unusual for the Miyagi-verse. But uh, this is Encino Hills, California, 1979. These are probably the first recorded events in the Karate Kid universe now. Yeah. Um, we got Johnny uh, popping in his cassette Walkman and jumping on his BMX bike and headed down a vintage street. Now We know it's Johnny because he's rolling down this, pr- this, this, very, very, this street of very ornate homes. He's got a red shirt on. He's got fluffy blonde hair and some badass tube socks. He's a little gangly. 
and yeah. has a sweet expression. Like he looks like a kind and sort of mild-mannered kid. And actually, this yeah. kid. Yeah, I mean, we we have to assume it's Johnny because it's a floppy blonde kid. Yeah. Yeah. And he rolls up on his bike to the Cobra Kai dojo, uh, where he sees through the blinds of the window, kind of a partially obscured crease with his back to us, uh, doing the whole Cobra Kai drill. And then we get a lovely pan back on the Cobra Kai dojo. Now, uh, you may want to pause your recording right here if you're watching along with us. Because I'm going to engage in a moment of Walkman pedantry. <laughs> now, the Walkman... Is it pedantry or is it pedantry? I've always heard it as pedantry, but, you know, whatever. Um, or pedantry. Um, either one. Uh, <laughs> are we engaged in pedantry over the pronunciation of the word pedantry? <laughs> no, it's, it's pedantry. Pedantry. Okay, all right. Now for your moment of Walkman pedantry. Uh, so <laughs> showing a kid using a Walkman in 1979 is a great way to show that they are a rich kid because the Sony Walkman wasn't even introduced in Japan until the 1st of July, 1979. So if this takes, what? yeah, so this, if this takes place in the seventies at all, this has to take place in the last six months of the seventies. Um, the Walkman didn't even come out in America until a month later in June. So assuming, assuming that Johnny was the, one of the first families to snap up a, uh, a cassette Walkman, which is likely cause he's a rich kid and he's, you know, his dad likes to try to buy his affection. So if he got a Walkman and during the summer of 1979, that's very possible. However, the model of the Walkman is not the model of the Walkman shown in the show is, as near as I can tell, uh, a mid-80s model, uh, a WMF-77, if you want to look it up online. Um, Are you telling me that the Walkman that this child has is an anachronism? The Walkman is unfortunately an anachronism. I'll, I mean, obviously, we can let it slide for storytelling purposes, because it does kind of uh, form this through line of this episode and of Johnny's life in general. But technically, like, if, if they wanted a period act at Walkman, it would have been like even the headphones are not quite right. Like they're the kind of like the 80s, like plasticky ones. Uh, if this was a 70s era Walkman, then this would have been like the metal band with like the big poofy foam uh, earpieces. So, yeah. Hey, I hate to. Colin, your capacity, your capacity to research this stuff never ceases to amaze me. I, I hate to call Cobra Kai out to the carpet, but. Like, uh, this, this is just, uh, it's just one of those things. And, and look, Cobra Kai is not exclusive. Like if we were doing a Halt and Catch Fire podcast, I, there's like 30 things I could call them to the table for, but, uh, that. I think John, Josh and Hayden can sleep well at night <laughs> with the fact that they have an anachronistic Walkman. But I w I want to say one more thing about this scene. While this has all been very fun, let's get back to the action. All right. Back to the action. One thing about this, like, kind of cold open, is that is that it shows you just how little you need to you know to set up a different time. Mm -hmm. Like, what they basically have is a storefront painted, mm -hmm. um, and then they've they've showed Johnny Lawrence on his bike, um, playing by played by Owen D Stone on his bike coming down the hill, and all, and and just imagine how much fun it must have been to put all those retro cars out. 
Like oh, you don't for even sure. notice. Yeah, they some clearly of the... spent their money in other places. Obviously, they did. But I mean, like my brain just fills in the blanks automatically. I've seen this episode probably ten times, and this is the first time that I've noticed that some of the brick mailboxes might be from a newer era than. 1980, which is when I think this takes place. And I think that not just because of the height of Johnny Lawrence's tube socks, but because of a spoiler that later I'll learn that his first tournament was in 1981. Yeah. So I'm guessing that this is right before that in like the two years between the release of the Walkmans in the U.S. market and Johnny Lawrence's first tournament. Johnny has clearly had his life changed at that pivotal moment, uh, seeing such a cool dojo. Um, And then we snap to present day, Uh, as we have the camera to Johnny's back as he looks on his own dojo in in the year of, I guess, 2018. He looks pretty psyched out about what he's about to do, like his jaw's twitching. He's he's in his full-on sensei gear. He's wearing his black headband and his black gi, and Mm -hmm. he's, like, ready to do battle. But he's got a room full of just normal-looking kids. They're, like, amped up to fight or just milling around looking at their smartphones. You know, this this is an alien species to Johnny Lawrence. Oh, for sure. And I mean, again, props to props to William Zabka for being able to kind of ride this line of Johnny as a bully versus Johnny's clearly like sensitive side, because I mean, he he essentially in this episode engages in many scenes of bullying and beating up on these defenseless kids and yet he somehow still manages to maintain his charisma throughout the whole thing yeah no he's so good because what's interesting is that we see that he's been psyched out by the appearance of these kids we know that he was once a kid uh he looked through the window at cobra kai just like daniel larusso did in the karate kid or these kids are today essentially yeah we see him shift stances because he has basically you know two settings Mm -hmm. He's either awkward because he doesn't know how to deal with vulnerability or he's aggro. And so he decides to become aggro. And because we've seen him already interacting with his stepfather, uh, played by Ed Asner on the opening scenes of Cobra Kai, we know that Johnny learned his attitude, not just from Crease, but his specific snark from his stepfather. So, you know, he defaults to snark and bullying because the other stuff is just too complicated. So we jump from dojo to dojo. Uh, we're back at the LaRusso mansion where Daniel's in his private dojo. Uh, but he's feeling a little bit lonely. He's feeling a little bit out of sorts. So he- Shout out to Daniel while he stands there drinking his bottled water in a sleeveless shirt. And that's a lovely Easter egg for those of us who remember Daniel LaRusso's sleeveless 80s shirt. Yes. Yeah, no minute made for this Daniel. He's moved on to Evian bottled <laughs> exactly. waters. Exactly. Meanwhile, Sam is sitting poolside um, checking her messages. She's... She's sort of low-key social media stalking Miguel, looking at older pictures of him and his grandma. But then, boom, I'm guessing Yasmin or someone else sends her bullying photos. Yeah, she's in the middle of some fresh cyberbullying when Daniel comes out of his room looking for a sparring partner. Uh, he mentions, Come on, remember that time you nailed me in the jaw with the flip kick? I mean, uh, you know, I had to eat soup for a week. Seems like a pretty loaded line. There's a lot of potential there. I, I hope to see some sweet flip kicks out of Sam in the next season. Daniel wants Sam to join him. But she's not feeling it. You know, for Daniel, almost no time has passed at all since Sam was in the dojo with him. But for Sam, she's like, eight years ago, I was eight. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's it's cool. Daniel goes inside to try to get Amanda to join him. And he's like, in exchange, I'll go to spin class with you. But Amanda's not having any of it because the last time they did a little karate together, they produced Anthony. That's 
their internet and game obsessed son. That's right. Yeah. Daniel wants to trade spins for kicks, which is uh, pretty amicable for the most part. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Antonio was conceived during a sparring match, which sounds like the most karate kid thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm never going to look at the dojo the same way again. Although if this were truly like, you know, an epic, epic story. Sam, the true karate genius, apparently, because she couldn't do this kick, would have been conceived in the dojo. We just don't know. Anyway, Daniel has decided that he's going to try, finally, to get Anthony to join him. But Anthony is busy. Ironically, it looks like he's got some sort of PS Vita or equivalent, and he's playing... What is he playing, Colin? Uh, Looks like either one of the Mortal Kombats or one of the... Yeah, something like that. Anthony can't be persuaded that the karate is as good as that, because in the game version, you have fireballs. Fair enough, but that will have to wait. To show just how far Daniel LaRusso and Ralph Macchio have come, they have a little product placement here where Anthony just orders himself a new Vita via Alexa, uh, and Daniel tries to override it. So Anthony is truly a tiny tyrant. Oh, for sure, yeah. Daniel's life is a struggle against product placement, apparently. Uh, Alexa put that on hold. Sorry. I'm not sure. While we go across town to Robbie's apartment, where Robbie has a cunning plan. I've got a plan so cunning you could put a tail on it and call it a weasel. <laughs> exactly. Robbie has a cunning plan. He's sitting there flexing in his LaRusso Auto Group shirt and his and his fancy schmancy docker pants with a belt when uh, Cruz and Trey come over and they're the dudes that he uh, boosts computers with and basically mm-hmm. gets up to skateboard shenanigans. They're eating his Captain Crunch and trying to get him to come out and do illegal things with them. But he's like, nah, I got, I can't, I got to go to work. And they, of course, begin giving him shit for having a job. And he's like, my dad hates his guts. When he finds out I'm working for him, he's going to lose his shit. And then we see that not only are Trey and Cruz very handy for exposition, but Robbie thinks he's just doing this to take revenge on his dad. But at the same time, Robbie's really looking for somebody to listen to him, right? Like he's appealing to Trey and Cruz. He wants he wants friends. And we'll have to come back to that thread in a moment because now uh, we're we're really moving around town. We're back at the Cobra Kai dojo where Johnny's in the middle of his second beat of bullying a bunch of helpless teenagers. Yeah, yeah. He's Dimitri is speaking up against Johnny. You really shouldn't make fun of someone's physical appearance. Because, you know, Dimitri, and I, I've said this before, I was Dimitri in high school. Like, I was, the, I was the cowardly wuss who had far too many brains for my own good, or so I thought. And Dimitri's like, Why should I be scared of him? Because he's got a snake on his wall? It's not like he's a teacher who can give us a bad grade. We're paying him. He works for us. It's not like he can actually hurt us. And you can see that this line of reasoning is just crushing and challenging Johnny's authority. Johnny just stands there while Dimitri goes on a rant. Mm -hmm. Johnny knows one thing that he can do, and that's demonstrate his physical superiority over Dimitri. You done? Yeah, I mean, Dimitri doesn't want to go off on a rant here, but he is, uh, he does do what he does best, which is run his mouth, which only serves to raise Johnny's ire and Johnny does the classic, like, hit me. Go ahead, hit me. Strike me. Right. <laughs> that whole, yeah. Welcome to uh, G.I. Jane with Johnny Lawrence <laughs> and Dimitri. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, which then leads to uh, a quick cut to the next day in school where Miguel and Dimitri are arguing about uh, Johnny's teaching methods. Dimitri very wisely points out that Miguel's reasoning behind Johnny's greatness is 
essentially hooker talk where you're trading abuse for for money and that's no good to him. Dimitri also points out that he has no need to learn karate because Miguel's already a badass, so badass that Kyler's afraid of him. Yeah, exactly. So now we're back at LaRusso Auto where Robbie is nailing it at every task that he's given from delivering parts to the guys in the in the workshop to putting tags on all the cars for sale, scooping up popcorn. Like he is super, as we say in German, he's super fleißig. He's like on top of everything. Oh yeah. And he gets a nice little montage as well. Exactly. And Daniel is talking to Anoush on the floor. They, they catch sight of Robbie. They're establishing that, yeah, Daniel knows who Robbie is and... Well, not who he really is, yeah. but Daniel knows that Robbie's there and that he's he's kicking ass at his job. I mean, Daniel's too occupied looking for a sparring partner to notice how good a job Robbie's doing. Yeah. Oh, he's trying to get Anoush to, to join him for a sparring match, but uh, unfortunately, Anoush has some sort of awesome dating app that he's into, and uh, he's got other plans. Uh, Daniel then kind of wanders off <laughs> trying to bug other people to spar with him. Anoush, having sung Robbie's praises to Daniel, then comes over and starts pushing Robbie around mm-hmm. because... Uh, he's got to maintain his dominance, right? So Louis, Louis and Anoush together kind of tag team him when, when Robbie asks if he can have a shirt with his name on it. They're like, What else you need? Business cards? Uh, tote bag? How about monogram cufflinks? You know, giving him trouble for wanting to be a part of the team. Yeah. Um, and so Louis then takes advantage of what he perceives as Robbie wanting to be part of the team, whereas we know Robbie also just wants a shirt with his name on it to piss his dad off. But Louis's like, take these keys, move the cars around on the floor. My cousin will really like that, i.e. Daniel will really like that. So Robbie's holding onto those keys when, you know, planning to move the cars around when we cut to fetal pig day at Sam and Miguel's high school. Yeah, so back at the high school, Sam continues to get bullied as well as uh, some of the other kids engage in some really juvenile entendres. It's because she gives blow jobs. Get it? Blow pop? Blow job. But fortunately, Sam needs a lab partner, and Miguel is the one to step up and uh, offer his fetal pig up for sharing. Sam has no lab partner. No one will work with her. And then, of course, Miguel's like, We'll take her. Miguel and Dimitri there. I keep wanting to call Dimitri by his real name, which is Gianni DiCenzo. Because <laughs> he's got such a wonderful and vivacious social media presence. Anyway. Sam comes over, thanks Miguel for including her. Meanwhile, Dimitri's playing the role of the pathetic dude. Like Sam walks by and he's like smelling where she grazed his arm. Miguel, meanwhile, has social skills. So she's coming to sit next to them. Cut back to uh, LaRusso Auto where Robbie is getting in a convertible on the floor, about to move it around. And he turns it on as Louie and Anoush look on kind of giggling and vrooms the motor. outruns yeah. daniel because the horrifying floor... everyone on the floor yeah because the floor is full of people and daniel both daniel and robbie we see that they're equally hot-headed right like daniel's like starting a car in a, in a crowded showroom what, what are you out of your mind and robbie's like screw this and runs out because obviously robbie got set up instantly though we see that yeah. daniel's truly in touch with his sweet nature and runs out to apologize to robbie this is my favorite scene i think one of my favorite scenes, my favorite scene in the episode, one of my favorite scenes in the whole show, because at this moment when he when he taps Robbie on the shoulder running out to find him, you can see that Daniel really is his nice, kind self, not not the blustery dude from the first five episodes. Yeah, I agree. This is a great scene. Daniel takes the opportunity to play cool boss uh, and kind of turn it around like 
even though he is a hothead, he does a great job of like managing it. He's a hothead with a heart. Right. Well, also, it's it just, you know, shows what 30 years of karate training will get you. Right. It's like that's also part of like his his Miyagi showing through. Well, and for those of us wondering why on earth is Robbie really here for the purposes of the story, Daniel taps Robbie on the shoulder. Robbie rears back with a fist like he's going to hit Daniel. And Daniel's like, oh, he's up. He's up. I surrender. First of all. Make a fist. If you're going to punch your boss, you got to make a tight fist. And he teaches Robbie how to make a fist. So he's already like, he's switched right. into sensei mode here with this with this kid. Oh, yes. And then Daniel's still trying to smooth things over, gets to talking about, so Robbie, where are you from? You know, expecting that Robbie's from the hills, like where he lives now. And Robbie's like, no, I live up in North Hills. Daniel's like, well, I'm from Reseda. And you can see that Robbie's like, oh, I thought you were like an equal to my dad like that's what he's thinking he's like oh i thought you came from money and daniel's like well not everything is what it looks like right which is straight out of the, the yeah. miyagi playbook not everything is as seen so yeah we have a great teachable moment with robbie and daniel which leads us to our next scene which is another another teachable moment in a different way we're at the lab for some flirting and karate lessons over a fetal pig dissection i mean that truly is the high school experience in a nutshell sam and miguel sitting there kind of hunched together in their plastic aprons. This is basically about Sam and Miguel talking about the bullying and then talking about the karate that Miguel dropped on the guys to get them to stop pushing him around. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Miguel's like, oh, thanks, I'm taking this badass karate course. But Sam surprises him yet again by knowing more about his moves than he did and explaining how he could have not telegraphed the sweep so much when he swept Brooks's leg. It's this moment where they have a rapport, they have a shared interest, Mm -hmm. and... They like each other. So back at the Cobra Kai dojo, Johnny has also taken some opportunity for some unconventional life coaching. Right? You could be at home playing your iComputers, playing your video games, eating candy. Instead, you're here doing push-ups, learning how to fight. Johnny is in a, in a weird spot because it's a case of getting what you want in the worst possible way. He wanted a full dojo, but in Johnny's eyes, it's a dojo full of losers, and he just... He's having real trouble getting a, a handle on that. You know, he's he's lost more students still because he's such a jerk. Right. And and then he picks on Eli, right, who's standing there. And Eli, ironically, was one of the ones who was the most invested in coming, you know, told Dimitri, who who hasn't come back, right? Mm-hmm. But back when they first arrived, he told Dimitri, let's see what, what he has to say. Like, But despite having been the most receptive, Eli gets the most trouble from Johnny because... Because his cleft lip is so easy for Johnny to make fun of. Like all bullies, Johnny wants big, slow-moving targets to just, you know, pick apart. This has some of the best lines. This has some of the best lines in the show because Johnny is so mean to him. There's so much humanity, though, in their exchange. Johnny's like, is something wrong with you? And Eli's like, the doctor said I could be on the spectrum. And Johnny's like, I don't know what that is, but get off of pronto. Right. I mean, some of the best lines yeah, in I, terms of Johnny's bullying in the show happen right now. And then Eli Eli walks off. Yeah. So it looks like he's got another lost cause. Another one of our, our fan faves has bailed mm-hmm. on Cobra Kai because Johnny's just such a jerk. And this compels Miguel during the break or when Johnny's just walked off and to drink a banquet in his little office to tell Johnny, you know, what do you think you're doing? One of the things that Johnny says when he's bullying Eli is, you know, if you want to if you want to kind of take control of your life. You got to flip the script, okay? Like get a face tattoo or gouge your eye out. We'll call you Patch, all right? No, don't do that one. You'll still look like a freak. You need to find another thing about yourself mm-hmm. that distinguishes you that isn't this cleft lip. Yeah. 
I mean, the odd thing is, you know, in the miasma of Johnny's bullying, there are these little moments of clarity that seem to come out and, you know, drive, you know, some sort of change in people's lives. I, I, I think that's probably one of the strongest things about Cobra Kai as a show is that none of it's really black and white. Yes, Johnny is a bully. Like all great antagonists, he does kind of have a point. <laughs> the odd thing about being a bully is they're the best argument against themselves, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about the sort of love of anti-heroes and how people see that as maybe a resurgence of toxic masculinity or sometimes it works in that way, right? I'm thinking about the comparison between Johnny Lawrence and Walter White. Like mm. when Walter White is a jerk or is witty while being a jerk. Like when he says, I am the danger. I am the danger. We find his, there, there's, there's a truth in his eloquence, but I don't find him likable. You're goddamn right. Yeah. But with Johnny, like 90% of what he says is bullshit. 10% of it is amazing. And Johnny's actual emotional struggle because he's headed towards being a good guy, we believe, mm -hmm. makes me like him so much. I forgive him so many things. Yeah. It's ridiculous. No, I agree. I, I think that's it. it. It makes me think of things like Full Metal Jacket, where, you know, uh, you know, there is that is, you know, that movie starts out like the almost the entire first act is the soldiers at boot camp. And it's the great Arlie Ermey as the drill sergeant. Because I am hard, you will not like me. But the more you hate me, the more you will learn. I am hard, but I am fair. And it's the 70s, and the army is a, in that period, especially is a, is a cruel place to be, especially at boot camp. And the idea is that there's no limit to how cruel this person can be to these soldiers because nothing is going to be as cruel as the war that's coming, right? Yeah. So, yeah, in a strange way, it is preparation it in an ideal world it shouldn't be and yet it is and that's that's a very interesting line to ride yeah and i think the thing about about johnny too is that i've got the i've currently got my screen frozen on billy zobka's somewhat tortured face mm -hmm. you know like why am i tortured by these stupid kids yeah <laughs> but it wouldn't be possible in cobra kai without billy zobka being such a genius oh for sure if Ralph Macchio is uncanny at aging the Daniel LaRusso we know and bringing new layers to show that he has inner conflict but is still this sweet person, mm -hmm. like Billy Zobka is performing the same kind of miracle by giving Johnny Lawrence a humanity that he had for like only two seconds of The Karate Kid. I mean, he is just... He is just nailing it with a show that that is about kids in a karate dojo. He is bringing he is bringing the Pat Morita style gravitas here. I think that's fair. That's fair to say. So as Johnny sits there looking looking miserable, Miguel said, you know, and telling Miguel, "What are you going to cry now? Are you loser too?" Miguel's like, "You don't know what it's like to be us." And that mm -hmm. makes Johnny think. Now we cut to Larusso Auto yet again. Man, we are like a ping pong ball in this episode. There's a lot of moving parts in this episode for sure. Uh, but yeah. yeah. At at LaRusso, Louis is literally getting called to the table by Amanda over his willingness to punk new employees. Um, and she rewards Robbie in the form of his own monogrammed uh, LaRusso automotive shirt, which is just what he wanted. Exactly. Robbie, Robbie's standing there. You know, it looks like he's forgiven Louis because Louis has apologized with Amanda standing by. Louis now has to stock the coffee that 
table that Robbie had to do, the coffee station and the waiting room. And it looks like they're getting along. And Louie's like, you still trying to get in with my cousin? It looks like he's offering him an olive branch. And and Robbie's like, yeah, maybe. You know, yeah. And, and Louie sets him up to take the sales report by Daniel's house that evening. Yeah, exactly. Daniel always wants to get the sales report delivered personally. And it's really long out of Louie's way. Uh, Robbie smells a rat, but Louie's like, no, I'm just trying to help you out, but never mind. So, of course, Robbie's like, oh, sure, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And then looks at Louie with this, oh, my God, Tanner Buchanan is so good. Because, like, looks at Louie with this almost puppyish gratitude that is, still has that Robbie edge. Yeah, Robbie is, so, in, in, in many ways, the antithesis of Johnny in that Johnny's hard edge betrays, like, a softer center. But Robbie is... He's a softer boy who's trying to play hard edge. I think that's an interesting distinction. Roll time ahead by a few hours. It's it's dusk now out in uh, the valley, and we're at the Larusso Mance where Sam is checking her social media. She's scared because she thinks it's going to be more bullying, but instead, it's a cute message from Miguel with a waving with a waving piggy. Yeah, it's some of the oddest online flirting I've ever seen. Yeah, well, in fairness, they did just dissect a fetal pig, um, but yeah, that's weird. Anyway, so she's delighted by her message from Miguel. Then we cut to Johnny Lawrence's apartment back in Reseda where he he's coming in with his six pack of banquets and he stumbles over the box of stuff that he had tried to pawn mm-hmm. in episode five before his luck turned around with students coming to the dojo. Um, and the box spills open. And as he's guzzling one bottle and opening another, um, he looks down and sees, lo and behold, his old Walkman spilled out. Now, Colin, once more, what what is this Walkman? Uh, this is the, <laughs> I believe, the WMF seventy seven Walkman from nineteen eighty six. I mean, look, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> he, he probably had more than one, to be honest with you. Uh, no, well, except that this is the exact same one that we're about to see in the in the fugue state that the Walkman triggers in Johnny. So. Uh, maybe Johnny's just yeah, the, maybe the, Johnny's just mistakenly remembering the same Walkman, even though he might have had a different one at the time. I'll allow you that. No, the, the Walkman, the Walkman plays Boston's "Don't Look Back," uh, it, just like the Walkman in the flashback does. And in the fugue state, uh, Johnny is back in his old house in Encino Hills with his mom and Sid. Mm-hmm. Um, Sid with his back turned to the camera, much like George Steinbrenner in an old Seinfeld episode. You, uh, you wanted to see me, Mr. Steinbrenner? Yes, George, come in, come in. You know, George, I've been your biggest supporter around here, and that's why I was so disappointed to hear that you've been pilfering the equipment. They're sitting there talking. Sid's complaining. Um, Johnny's looking kind of meek and mild, but Laura, Johnny's mom, I think her name's Laura. That's her real name or the name that they've given her in fanfic? Uh, Laura says to Sid, like, well, Johnny had a good day, and Johnny excitedly, you know, has been excitedly telling his mom about what he saw through the window at Cobra Kai, and, and tells Sid that he would like to take karate lessons. And mm-hmm. Sid just like wails on Johnny with a slew of Johnny Lawrence like insults, telling him that he's a skinny little white boy. Um, he's, you know, this like the last time he tried to do magic tricks and he sucked at that. So, you know, he, he'll pay for it, but, you know, basically screw you. And Johnny, unable to hear another litany of insults, puts in his Walkman and plays his tape, just like Robbie did a couple of episodes ago when his mom was getting it on with some schlub in the next room. So both Johnny and Robbie escape into their Walkmans and Johnny looks down back in, in our time now in 2018 and is visibly shaken by the memory of having listened to that in his Walkman. Indeed. But we'll have to leave Johnny there because uh, we have important business over at the Encino Mance. No, no one's grooming a bonsai tree tonight. 
bonsai tree. It's Robbie who has arrived to deliver this uh, ersatz sales report to Daniel. Yeah, I guess Sam's too busy hitting on Miguel upstairs to answer the door. Anthony's in a video game and and Sam and, and Amanda, I don't know, but Daniel is there in his home dojo. Robbie's walked around the house trying to find someone to deliver this report to and he catches Daniel in profile through the doorway doing kata as karate doing music sounds in the background yeah exactly and um yeah daniel is is really tearing it up on the dojo floor um and robbie brings him the report but daniel is confused because he doesn't actually get a sales report every night yeah robbie is obviously in awe of daniel uh, he even thought daniel briefly had special powers and could sense his presence even though daniel saw his reflection mm-hmm. so he hands over the sales report just sort of at a loss for words. But Daniel's like, actually, nope, you are, you've been, you've been punked yet again. Punked it again. Yeah, because this, this is just some sort of like, you know, penthouse knockoff. Felt. It turns out to be a copy of Velvet Vixens, which is, I assume, some sort of fictitious adult magazine. Certainly a pretty classy name for a magazine. More than one of those magazines recur in this show because at some point someone's buying it at the mini mart. So like, I bet you that the writers had a lot of fun coming up with those names. So Daniel and Robbie are talking at, you know, after it's revealed that Robbie's been punked. Daniel's like, this is karate. And Robbie's like, where's the punching? Daniel explains that this is kata. Oh, karate isn't all punching and kicking. And it's actually more about balance. My karate. Yes, my karate. That's right. My karate. It makes me think about what the foundation of my karate is. Anyway, so. He also says something super Daniel here, which is. uh, Next time you outsmart the dope. Yeah, he says that about Louis. Daniel explains. The other thing that he says that's that's super um, Miyagi-Do is, you know, Robbie says that doesn't really look like karate. And Daniel says, well, blueprints don't look like cars, do they? So Daniel is explaining that the the fundamentals of karate look nothing like the fight that you see it as the end result of all of that work. Mm-hmm. And so he asks Robbie, "You want to stick around, learn a few things?" Yeah, Robbie says, "Yes." Finally, Daniel has someone to do karate with. It just happens to be the son of his of his greatest rival. So back at Cobra Kai Dojo. So yes, back at Cobra Kai Dojos. Back at Cobra Kai. Everyone is lined up. Johnny is giving them a talk. Yes. He's explaining, you know, he's trying to come to a point of understanding with these students, but in a Johnny Lawrence-like way. He says that... And right now you're all weak. And I know that. Because I was you. Just like a cobra, I had to shed my loser skin to find my true power. And you guys will too. So... Johnny is connecting with these students. He's giving them this pep talk. Also, Johnny drops a very poignant uh, (laughs) observation, which is, All that matters is that you become badass. One of the questions that I wanted to ask about this episode was, what does it mean to be badass for Johnny Lawrence? And what do the showrunners want us to take away from it? I think that's the problem, right? Johnny, like a lot of bullies, doesn't have like a long-term view. Like he only knows what he needs to know to be on top in any given moment. I don't think he has necessarily a plan beyond get my dojo back, be the best in the valley, like win the tournament, be more Johnny than I was yesterday, right? It's hard to kind of get a a beat on that because, like, when you're writing something, you definitely want 
a larger long-term goal, but I think that is the weird magic trick of this show is that I don't think Johnny has any grand plans. I think he's a dog that's trying to chase a car and doesn't know what to do if he were to ever catch one. I think that with Johnny, the idea of badass, it's it's like the way that he enacts it, it's like pure machismo. Like by being mm-hmm. strong and by being unflappable, you are a badass. No matter what, no matter whether you're wrong or right, it doesn't matter. You make it right by being a badass. Like that's it. That's true. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that very dangerous mentality of yeah, whoever is strongest is right, regardless of whether they are morally or ethically or logically right. It's like cool might makes right, and it's like the feeling of Boston's don't look back, right? Like you're not looking back, you're going on ahead. You're basically a liberated guitar riff. That to Johnny is being badass, um, and the problem is that Johnny's idea of badassery, though motivational and charismatic. Uh, the reason it works here is because Johnny's such a human being. Like, he has such human excitement for it. If John Kreese were to talk about being badass, it would be, you know, terrifying fascism. <laughs> so when Johnny talks about being badass, the students mm-hmm. are brought in not just by the idea of being invulnerable, which is, of course, totally appealing to someone who has a lot of pain in their life, but it's also because Johnny is himself so likable. And I think that that what's delicious about this final scene and about... Johnny's development as a mentor is that he brings real lessons, but he kind of brings them for the wrong reasons, or he expects he expects rewards for those lessons that don't exist. So he's giving the students skills, but he's not necessarily giving them a fundamental understanding of why. Like he's not giving them ethics that will propel them forward as growing human beings. But at the same time, he's reinscribing some of the misbeliefs that led him down the path that he's on. Johnny, you know, has a a moment to kind of recover here from his earlier disappointment. Uh, He has, you know, he still has some students left, even though they aren't the students he wants. As, As someone once said, you go to the war with the army you have, not the army you want, which is particularly cruel if you're saying that to the army. But... Johnny has potential here, and I think he's finally starting to see that, because who should walk in the door but Eli, who has now rebranded himself in a fantastic manner. That's right. That's right. He has come in with a blue mohawk and uh, is visibly cockier. Um, He's ready to roll. He has, instead of just fleeing, he went away and flipped the script. And Johnny calls him Hawk and says, get in formation. So as the Cobra Kai theme swells... Johnny begins to revisit the the Cobra Kai liturgy. Fear does not exist in this dojo, does it? No sensei. All of his principles. Eli, Aisha, Miguel, um, they all repeat after him. Pain does not exist in this dojo, does it? No sensei. So and then they, they fall in. Defeat does not exist in this dojo, does it? No sensei. And it's it's a cool moment. Like you you're like I remember the first time I saw this, my heart like just swelled, even though I was like, This is this is going to lead to bad things. I was so excited to see them all in in formation in line, bringing us back to the things that Kreese and his students used to yell in the evil dojo and the karate kid. Class, are you ready to learn the way of the fist? Yes, sensei! And that brings us to the end of Cobra Kai Episode 6, Quiver. So, yes, Jenny, 
what do you think of this episode? Well, I love this episode. Like I said, I I originally was just kind of like, all right, all right, get me to the conclusion. Because by this point, when we first watched it, I was just hungry to get through because I was so obsessed with the show. But now that I've gotten to linger over it, I see such great moments. So the, the actors are putting in such hard work. Everyone is doing such a good job of conveying the complexity of their characters, making this a deeply resonant story, despite there being, you know, moments of like after school TV show kind of like humor that could otherwise make it seem less grounded. It is just so, mm-hmm. it feels so real. I love to see Robbie and Daniel interacts. I love to see that Robbie has a human side. This is the first episode where we've really seen that Tanner Buchanan is capable of more feelings you know, as Robbie is capable of more feelings than rage or schadenfreude or loneliness, but he also feels hope and like excitement. And it's neat to see that happen. And it's neat to see that happen with Daniel. Like, oh my gosh, what a change to see nice non-neurotic Daniel. What a change to have like Mm -hmm. Daniel as we remember him back and and to remember what a sweet guy Daniel was and to see him finding that again while he does karate in his sleeveless shirt is just fantastic. And the other thing that I like about this, while it filled me with so much foreboding to see because we're not at the end of the se- the season yet, right? Nor the series. So if Sam and Miguel are, are meeting and flirting now, I don't know if they'll still be together by the end of the show. But like they have such chemistry, are both such nice, well-matched kids, although they come from such different backgrounds. It's... I believe it 100% and I'm already rooting for them to hook up. Colin, what did you think of this episode? The word that kind of jumps to my mind is crescendo. So, you know, this is where the streaming format pays off. This is where, you know, the storytelling that we've done for the last five episodes starts to pay off because without getting too spoilery, like this is the start of a snowball that's going to continue to grow and accumulate right through to the end of episode 10. And so it's great to actually be on the upswing now. Like, you know, most of the characters have... Sam's probably in her worst moments right now, and from at this point on, things will things may get crazier, but they're certainly going to... Fortunes are going to start to change. Some of these machinations are going to start to pay off. Robbie's cunning plan may not come to the conclusion that he thinks it is. I think, in a way, Robbie and Johnny are very much alike in the sense that, you know, not only with the Walkman and, you know, the minor things, but I think they both have this, neither of them have this long-term thinking of knowing what they're going to do. Like, what if Robbie gets in good with, you know, LaRusso Automotive and rips them off and, like, is his plan to rip them off at this point or is his plan to just make his dad jealous? And and if so, what is to come of that is the, is the question. And I don't think Robbie would have an answer for you if you could ask him much in the way if you asked Johnny what his long-term plan for Cobra Kai was, he could tell you. I think that both Robbie and Johnny, like all people, but specifically in this show, are driven by a desire for connection and a desire mm-hmm. to have, frankly, a familial mm-hmm. connection. And there's that sense of family, yeah. the LaRusso family, as Amanda says, that appeals to Robbie. There's this sense of kinship that comes out of the dojo for Johnny. Um, and seeking yeah. family elsewhere is easier and less fraught than trying to work with the family you have 
particularly given that both yeah. Johnny and Robbie are so avoidant of each other because of their past pain. And much like in real life, I think everybody longs for connection all the time, but not everyone can, you know, even verbalize that. If you ask somebody what they're doing, they can't enunciate it. They're just like, I don't know, I just want this, not realizing that it's it's a, a through line to get them the connection that they want. Exactly. Cool. So yeah, I think that was a, a super great episode. Um, so yeah, so the next episode will be All Valley. Oh, yes. Episode seven, All Valley. I can't wait for that one. That one is actually, before the finale, the one that causes me the most angst. Oh, good. Yes. Well, uh, I certainly hope uh, it won't cause too much angst on the rewatch or the recap, but we will certainly get through it because episodes eight, nine, and ten are are all fantastic. That's true. I mean, it's it's really just a big old karate movie. Oh yeah, no. I mean, that is the thing. Like, if if this was a movie structure, we'd be well into the second act now, and all everything else from this point on is is pure climax. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I think that should do it. Um, so until then, I've been Colin Canada. I've been Jenny Carlson, and we will see you around the Miyagiverse. See you around the Miyagiverse. This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Canada and Jenny Carlson. Our music is by Chepo. You can find us online at areyoukaratekiddingme.com and wherever you download podcasts.